We're going to go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We're in our resharpening series. We've we're got just to, to this week and then a few more weeks before we're going to close this series out. And um, I've enjoyed it. Um, I haven't talked about this in a little while, but I kind of thought it'd be interesting again to bring it up. Um, this series really kind of came to me, uh, my mind when we were actually happening, having a sharpening class here at the church. Alan Shank uh, brought a whole bunch of, uh, of, of knives um, and tools and things like that and kind of taught us all how to sharpen and as he's teaching us all these things I'm trying really hard to pay attention and as he's doing it God I just God is just speaking to me about this concept and this idea and and I I, I, I was really excited about being able to share this with you because again these are these are things that we need these are things that we use and there's things that we need to look at in our lives on a constant basis to make sure that they're sharp we've been looking at Ecclesiastes 10:10, so we're going to look at it again a dull acts requires great strength be wise and sharpen the blade it's important that we understand that because when the axe in our in, in the axe is sharp in our lives we are more effective when the axe head gets dull we get less done with twice the effort and so we really want to make sure that as we're growing in the Lord as we're experiencing these things as God looks at areas in our lives that we say you know what I want to get these areas sharpened so that I can be effective for the Lord I want to I want to be able to when I when God calls me to do something I want to make sure that I can do it and do it well and do it with God's help and one way that we do that is get that blade sharp and ready so we've been talking about different areas of our lives that we need to get sharpened and today we're going to continue along with that but here's the thing if you look at the Bible and you kind of begin to study it one of the great things about the Bible and I've heard this as a reason honestly why there there's some validity to the Bible why we can trust it is because not only do we have these great stories of, of basically David and, and, and Peter and Samson and Noah and Jacob all these these guys they, they did some amazing things for God and we love to see that, we love to study that, we love to see, boy, look, David did this, and Peter did this, and Samson, oh man, well, all the great things that they did. And we can really celebrate the great victories that came from these men when they were working for God and doing great things for God. But, but here's what's interesting, these guys also have something else in common. Not only did they do great things, but they have something else that we need to look at this morning that I think is important. And this is why I think... Sometimes the Bible really does have a lot of truth and a lot of validity because not only do we get these great stories about these men, their great triumphs, but we also see some of their greatest failures. You know, you look at like histories, you go back and you look at the Roman emperors or, or, or Egyptian pharaohs and all these sort of things. You know what you normally don't see written down? They're mess ups. You see it maybe from the, the uh, 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 venue, oh, I need to slow down. You kind of see them from the opinion or the view of their enemies, but not from themselves. You, you don't usually see that very often because they want you to see all the great stuff. They want you to see all the stuff they did really, really well. The Bible's not like that. The Bible, right along with some of their great triumphs, it also talks about some of their great defeats and their great issues and this morning what I want to do is I want to look at these guys and we're going to kind of start with them and then we'll come back to them in a little bit but I think they all have something in common okay when I started to look at them and I started to see their lives and study their lives a little bit I tended to see that that their failures all seemed to begin around the same spot and see, so here's what's great about the Word of God. God is giving us all the triumphs so that we can celebrate those and learn from them. And he's also giving us all the defeats so we can learn and understand those as well. And so I looked at these guys and I began to look at some of the areas of their lives. And, and what's interesting is they all began at a certain place. And this morning what we're going to talk about is that starting place. Where I believe that if we're not careful... We can fall in the same issues and the same traps that these mighty men of God did. They were not special. They didn't have this, you know, they, they were just like you and me. And so we have to understand. And so we need to learn from them and understand maybe where their failings began 
so that as we maybe possibly move in that direction, we can say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. So before we really jump in, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, I pray that you would just help us as we look at these things together. God, I know that the things I'm going to be sharing today can be somewhat hard sometimes maybe to hear. Sometimes they may be, I, I definitely feel like in some ways I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning. But at the same time, Father, I understand that, that we can all, all of us, myself obviously included in this, we can begin this road and not even hardly know it, not even see it. And sometimes we don't realize it till it's a little bit too late. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our heart, open our minds to what you desire to communicate to us this morning so that hopefully we can learn from these guys, not just in their triumphs, which are awesome, but also when they really messed up. And that can be something that we can use and that you can use in us to help us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be talking about resharpening your hands. Resharpening your hands. We'll get back in just a moment to all those guys that we talked about earlier. But right now, I want to kind of look at a scripture that, that you maybe you know, never heard before. Maybe you're not aware of this, uh, this prophet. He's a minor prophet. His name is Amos. And Amos, we're going to start looking at a, at a portion of scripture that he spoke in, in Amos 6. And in Amos 6, what you're going to hear here is a very stern word, a, a, a warning that this prophet is giving to the people of Israel that in some ways we need to understand today. So we're going to look at this together. Amos 6, starting with verse number 1, and this is what he says. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Calman and see, and there go to Hamath the great. Then go down to the Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than yours? O oh, you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seed of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the, so the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. This is a very interesting portion of Scripture. Because basically what's happening here, what is going on and what kind of the context of this is, is basically this prophet is speaking uh, from God. God has shared this concept with him and now he's sharing it with the people. Basically what has happened is the Israelites or the people of Israel have become very at ease with the things of God. They have, in, in verse 4, it talks about them laying out, stretching out on ivory beds, stretching out on their couches. They're at ease. Everything is just kind of nice and slow, and there's not much going on. And Amos here is speaking to that, and he's saying, listen to me. You need to understand something. You have become idle. You have become lazy. You have become self-indulgent. You've basically become self-serving and self-seeking. And if you do not change, some things are going to happen that are not good. The idea of woe to you is not a, oh, this is good. This is a warning. This is a, a prophet of God speaking to God's people and saying, listen here, you are, your job here isn't to be laying out on couches. Your job here isn't to be sitting there enjoying these things. It's time to get serious again with the things of God. And he's preaching this and he's sharing this with these people because he desperately wants them to change their course and get busy again with the things that God has 
for them to do, but also the things, and this is important, catch this, that God wants to do inside of them. You see, a lot of times when I've heard messages about this, it's come a different way. It's kind of been, okay, guys, here, you you need to get busy. You need to be doing things. And listen, that is a part of what we're going to be sharing this morning. But there's also a deeper part of this. This is not just a warning from God to get you to do something. This is a warning from God to keep you from something. Do you understand the difference? Because a lot of times a pastor will come up and, and, and listen, I've been in this place too. Where the pastors come up and you need to get busy. You need to be doing this. You need to be serving. And they'll, we'll, we'll talk about all those things. Don't, you know, don't, just wait. We'll get there. But listen, this is not necessarily about that alone. This is about God in his loving kindness wanting to keep us from things. Listen, it's one of the greatest things to be able to explain to something, somebody. Uh, I, I got to do this with my son even this week. We were talking about God's laws and God's uh, precepts and the things that God commands for us to do. We were basically in Deuteronomy. For some reason, my son looked at me and, and we read a story every night. And, and he goes, Dad, I, we, we should read Deuteronomy. I said, Easton, why? He goes, because I like the name. I like the sound of the word Deuteronomy. We're also reading Ecclesiastes for the same reason, okay? We've moved on a little bit, but, you know, we're all over the place. But we, we were looking at God's laws, and it was great. And he was like, well, well what, what, why? And I said, he said, why does God give us his laws? And he goes, well, so we can obey them. And I was like, well, that's good, yeah. I said, but, you know, there's something even greater here that we need to understand about the heart of our Father. And that's simply God doesn't just give us laws because he's in charge. He gives us laws because he loves us. Because he knows if we do these things, not good things are going to come. Okay? We talked about that a little while ago, about this idea of what we plant, what we sow, we're going to reap. And so God, in his love here, is expressing to these people, listen, it's time to not just lay around with the things of God. It's not time to just kind of be lazy with the things of God. But instead, it's time to get busy with what God wants to do in you and through you. You get that concept? It's not just through you, it's in you too. God wants to do this work so this work can also be effective and sharp. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at what Paul says when he talks about this. 2 Thessalonians 3. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12, this is what it says. He's writing here to this church, and he says, We hear that some of you, some among you, are idle and disruptive. I want to stop there for just a second, because I think that's important. Now, I'm sure there are times where I have seen idleness without destruction. But it's interesting here that Paul puts them both together. He's almost saying that one has led to the other. It's important that we see that. Because again, in my life, I will just speak for myself here. When I have become idle, destruction has usually, or excuse me, it disruptive things have usually come and destructive things have come. It's interesting. So this is what he says. Let's continue. They are not busy. (laughs) They are busy bodies. Now hold on to that. We'll be back to busy bodies in a second. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Now let's go on to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5. Paul once again is writing. Here's what he says. Besides that, They learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers but also gossips and there it is again, busybodies saying what they should not. You know what the word busybodies means? If you take it and you kind of go back to the original Greek, the, the idea here is basically this. It means somebody that is useless, Someone that is busy with trifle, needless, useless matters, and a person who gets involved in the affairs of others. So as Paul is communicating this idea of idling and being a busybody and all these things, and I remember hearing that word growing up, and what does that mean? It's basically this concept that people are busy 
with things, listen, that don't matter. The church sometimes can be full of that. Where we begin to worry about and be concerned about things that don't necessarily matter. And he goes, listen, he, he's strongly saying, you need to stop this. You need to understand. And he almost begins, as we see, this idea of one is leading to disruption. One is leading to problems. One is leading to things in your life that is not going to be what God has for you. Let's continue in 2 Thessalonians 3. He continues on, and this is what he says to them, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that you would not be a so we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So here's Paul. The God, listen, the, you, you hold up your Bible. You ever done this? Okay. You ever, you ever, you ever say, oh God, I, help me, help me figure out where I need to read my Bible today or whatever. And you do one of these numbers. I'm not going to do it because I, I need to keep where my page is. But you kind of have the Bible closed and you kind of throw it on the table and you see where it opens up. Or you do the, you throw it down or you do one of these numbers and you go like this. Okay. If you do that, there's a very good chance you are going to throw your Bible open to something Paul wrote. This is an amazing man of God. I, I, one of the things that I am going to look forward to doing is, is just to sit around Paul in heaven and be like, just listen to him. I mean, we got all the time in the world, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a number early, and I'm going to sit there, and Paul and I are going to talk. And I'm really excited about that. But this is the guy that's basically saying, hey, listen, we could have been a burden. We could have sat there and done nothing, but we didn't. He uses the words toil and working, basically, this idea that, listen, we were busy with the things of God. We were busy doing the things that God wanted us to do. We were busy letting God do the things in us so that we could, in turn, do amazing things for you. Even this idea of modeling, He's like, we wanted to be an example to you. We wanted to do these things to show you how you should be, how you should live, how you should act, how you should be serious and excited about what God is doing in you and through you. He did not have idle hands. And he's encouraging us. He's almost, he's basically commanding us to also not be idle, not allow the things of God to become just simply things. It's important. We need to understand that. So now let's go back to these guys we talked about. Let's look at these examples in Scripture about idle hands. Because remember I talked about this concept. There was something that they started. There was a place they began. Okay? And if we can understand the, the first early steps, we can understand and learn from it too. We can, we can use those things. We can, let, we can not just let Paul's modeling and imitate Paul in this area. We can also try to not imitate these guys. So we're going to look at a couple. Now, here's what I've done. The first one, and you can, you can throw it up on the screen, is David. Okay? And what I've done, we're not going to go through the scriptures for each of these this morning. But what I have done in your notes is giving you where these stories come from. I'm going to paraphrase for you kind of quickly on each of these men to kind of look at these areas. In, in David's life, we've talked about this before, so we're not going to spend a ton of time here. But in David's life, in 2 Samuel 11, David is supposed to be out fighting. Scripture tells us that basically it was the time where kings were out and battle. They were out in war. And David, instead of being where he was supposed to be, instead of doing what he was supposed to be doing, is back at his palace. And this is where he happens to be on the roof. And he happens to look over and see Bathsheba. And we know about the sin that comes from that. That David not only commits adultery, but he eventually commits murder. Why? 
what, this, is, this is a man of God. This is who God said. This man has, has a heart like mine. He's the apple of my eye. Why was David's big, big fall? Where did it come from? Simple. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was idle. The Bible says he basically had just taken a nap. Now listen, let me explain this something to you here, okay? This is not a message that goes against the idea and concept of rest. God commands us to rest. We need to rest. The problem is, some of us have been resting for far too long. It's good to rest. It's also good to wake up. It's good to take a nap every once in a while, right? But you get up from your nap. That's important. David here, you just kind of imagine David's mindset. Like, haven't I done enough? I mean, seriously. I, think I took out a giant... I became king. I ran from Saul. I'm tired. Haven't I done enough? And so I'm going to sit back this time. I'm going to be idle this time. I'm going to let others do all the work this time. And it began a journey that really, and we don't have time to talk about it today, but, but not just adultery, not just murder, but just some really bad things in his family. It affects a lot of people and a lot of things. Next one, I want to look at Peter. Peter, first, excuse me, in Luke 22. This is the story where Peter, now let me kind of give you a little bit of background. Peter has just experienced with Jesus communion and, and, and the Last Supper. And, and Jesus has, has basically communicated some things. And Peter looks at him and says, man, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you, man. Whatever happens, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus looks at him and goes, listen, you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. The garden scene happens. Jesus is taken away. Peter has run away. And now in this portion of scripture, Peter is sitting where he shouldn't be sitting, doing what he shouldn't be doing, and breaking the promise that he made. He's at the fire, warming himself by the fire, not doing where he should be, not fulfilling what he promised he would do. He's not defending Jesus. He's hiding and he begins to be questioned. Do you know Jesus? And he denies Christ three times. Why? Why? Because he's not where he's, he's not doing what he should be doing. He's warming himself by the fire. Let's look at Samson. Samson, this mighty, mighty man that, that God gives this amazing amount of strength. Where is he in Judges 16? Simple. He's in the lap and the arms of Delilah. He's not out being the judge that God's called him to do. He's not doing the things he should be doing. Instead, he's a place he shouldn't be with someone he shouldn't be with doing some things that he should not be doing. It's interesting that in this story, as she's trying to get him, tell me the secret of your strength. You know where he is? The Bible says his head is in her lap. He's laying down. You know what the problem with that is? You want to talk about being in a very, 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 very vulnerable position. Because here's the thing. If I'm lying in your lap, guess what I can't see? Anything that you're doing over here. You know how easy it is not to get graphic and not to get weird? You know how easy it would have been for Delilah just to take a knife and go, he was vulnerable. And he didn't even know it. One of the saddest saddest verses of scripture is when she finally cuts his hair and he gets up and he's like, I'm ready to go again. And the Bible says he doesn't even realize God's spirit has left him. Why? What happened? Simple. He got idle. He got to be doing things and being places he shouldn't be and it eventually led to his downfall. Let's look at Noah. Aaron, really? Noah? Noah, the guy that built the ark? Yeah, Noah, the guy that built the ark. Because Noah has a very interesting thing about him that we want to talk about. And it's found basically at the end of the flood story in Genesis 9. You see, Noah has been called by God. God has called him. He's the righteous one. He's, he's built the ark over literally hundreds of years. But now, that's over. In Genesis 9, basically the flood's gone. And instead of having a purpose, and instead of having something that God is leading him to do. Now listen, here's what's interesting. God gave him another command after the flood. 
But in Genesis 9, he's not really fulfilling that calling. He's not, he hasn't moved. Listen, and this is, this is important that you catch this. Because I see this in the church a lot. And I see it, honestly, in, in, in people and my life a lot. We get this idea, this purpose from God. Noah had a purpose and a dream and a, a reason to be alive and doing things. And it was to build this ark and basically save all the animals and, and humanity. That, that's a pretty big deal. But eventually, sometimes those moments, those purposes are finished. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because in that moment, we tend to do what David did and almost what Noah did, is we kind of let our guard down. I've accomplished something great. God has used me to do something good. But here's what I want to help you understand. God still had things for Noah to do. God wasn't done with Noah. He was done with Noah in the concept of the flood and the ark, but there was still a world that needed to be repopulated. There was still a world that needed to go out to be multiplied and be fruitful. And instead of really doing what God's asked him to do, Noah plants a vineyard. And in Genesis 9, it says that Noah takes the grapes from that vineyard and gets so drunk that he's lying naked inside of his tent. This mighty man of God. And I'm not going to get into the whole story of what happens with his sons, but there's some things that's not good. Why? Why? Because at this moment, instead of continuing with God's purposes and continuing to do, Noah instead gets doing other things. And he misses it. Let's look at Jacob, the last one. Jacob. In Genesis 25 and 27, there's a story of Jacob. And, and Jacob is kind of an interesting character. He has an older brother named Esau. And, and instead of doing more and being out, Scripture is really interesting here. It says that, that Esau basically became a skillful hunter. Okay? Esau became a skillful hunter. But Jacob was a mild man who preferred to stay among the tents. Now, as I was looking at this and kind of, kind of studying this, I kind of looked at the idea of the word mild and really what it was meaning, and I was looking at the word skillful as well. Because here's what I found. It appears from what we're getting from Scripture, those Hebrew words, that Esau was working and doing something to get better at it. He became a skillful hunter. Listen, if I went out in the woods I, and I had a rifle or I had a bow and arrow or a whatever weapon I had, all of a sudden I am a hunter, okay? I am not a skillful hunter. Now, I don't, I don't know much about this, but I have heard stories, but Gordon goes out and he hunts. But Gordon is a skillful hunter. He has studied He knows how to track. He knows how to do all these things. Listen, that doesn't just happen by accident. Gordon wasn't born one morning and woke up and said, wow, I know how to be a skillful hunter. It took time, effort. It was a desire that he honed over years. Same with Esau. But we don't see those words used with Jacob. Kind of what we see is this concept of him just kind of hanging around home. Not doing much. And what's interesting is when that happens, and we're going to see in just a second a scripture that kind of proves this out, we start to see a little bit of scheming going on. Jacob's bored. And he's like, you know, I really like that birthright. You know, I really like that blessing. I'd really like to figure this out. I I want those things for me. And scripture talks about how he steals his birthright from his brother, how he deceives his own father. Why? Because he's not busy. He's not, he's idle. Look at Proverbs 16. This is an interesting verse that goes a little bit along with what I just shared when it comes to Jacob and it also something that we need to understand. Proverbs 16, 27. This is what it says. Though a worthless man plots evil. A worthless man plots evil. The definition, that idea of worthless man is this idea of a man who does nothing. It's an idle man. Okay, do you understand that? That's what that word means. The, the, the man, the idle man, plots evil 
and his speech is like a scorching fire. I, I think it was interesting. In Proverbs 16, 27, in the, the Living Bible, it says this. And how many of you have heard this before? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. Can, you, can we be honest for a second? Because I, I, I just, like, if I thought, really start to think about all the things in my life that have been kind of the major not good things, you know where they usually have started? I was bored. I was bored. I learned really early on not to use those words with my parents, you know? Like the idea of, Dad, I'm bored. Dad would find me something to do, you know? But usually those things happen. It's amazing that the enemy tends to use that so often. And again, not resting, not abiding in, the, in God's spirit, but this idea of just idleness, this idea almost of boredom. And this is an important thing. It's in your notes. You need to get hands that do nothing become a tool in the hands of the enemy. Hands that do nothing become, hand, become a tool in the hands of the enemy. It's so important that we understand this. It's so important that we get this concept. So here, as we kind of bring this in for a close, as we kind of look at these things, I, I want to do this. I, I, how to check. Let's look at this together. How do we check the idleness of our hands? How do we check that? Okay? How do we check that? Let, we're going to look at three different areas that I think are important. That as we do a little self-evaluation, we need to look at. Okay? Number one. Number one. And this is a big one. Are you idle in your walk with God? Are you idle in your walk with God? Look at, look at 2 Peter 1. In 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 8, this is what he said. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities, and this is important, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective, there's that word, and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, one thing we really have to look at, are we idle with the things of God? Simply, are, how, how's your prayer life? I mean, these are simple things, I know and I bring them up almost every other week, I know, but that should tell you something, that these are not optional for your spiritual walk. These are vital to your spiritual walk. There are certain things that are vital to your, your physical well-being. You've got to eat, you've got to sleep, you've got to have water. Without those things, you die. Spiritually speaking, these are necessities. These are not optional if you want to continue in your growth. How's your Bible reading? Listen, how's your church attendance? Whether it online or here, this is important, folks. This matters that you're here and that you're online during this time. There, there, God says, don't deny this. How is that in your life? Or has it become kind of an idle thing? It just be, kind of becomes something that, you know... I would do those things, but you know what? My ivory bed and my couch are just so comfortable. They're just so comfortable. So we have to be honest with ourselves. Where are we at there? Number two, are you idle in regards to the harvest? Are you idle in regards to the harvest? Let's look at Luke 10. In Luke 10, 1 through 2, this is what it says. The Lord, Jesus now chose 72 other disciples. Now let's stop there for a second. Jesus has already sent out the 12 disciples you know. Okay? He's already sent them out. And now, starting in Luke 10, Jesus is sending out another 72. 
So if my math is correct, which normally it isn't, that's 84. Jesus has sent out in a very short amount of time 84 disciples to go out. And this is what he did. He said he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now remember what has just happened. What is the context? Who is he speaking to? He's just speaking to the 72 he's just sent. Listen, this is a great encouragement to all of us. They will never, God is never going to look at you and say, you know what, I got too many workers. I know you want to do something for me, but you know what? The workers are plentiful. The workers are plentiful. He's telling them, as these guys are going out, pray for more. Pray for more, because the harvest is ripe. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Listen, if you have this attitude that goes, you know, I'm just not good enough. I just can't do it. Stop, because God can use you. But listen, you've got to focus and you have to know the harvest is important. Listen, we are at a place, and I've spoken on this before, where I believe in our world and our culture, we have never seen a greater opportunity for the harvest of God. I really truly believe that. with, With all the stuff that we look at and is going on in our world, we are at a place right now where there are people that are hungry, that are desperate for something, and we are the workers that are supposed to go out into the harvest and make a difference. But listen, you won't do that if you don't care about the harvest. It's very hard, hear me here, to care about a harvest when all you care about is yourself. Harvesters work hard. It's interesting. Our scripture doesn't say something that's easy. It says they're workers. But listen, you've got to have a heart for the harvest. Listen, can I help you with something? Say, Aaron, how do I have a heart for the harvest? How do I I love and care about uh, people that don't know Jesus? Okay? And listen, honestly, there's many different ways to do that. You know what it works best for me, and it may not work best for you, I'm just sharing it for me, is to remember that for me, I used to be one of them. And God, there was a worker who cared enough about me to make a difference in my life, and I want to do that for somebody else. I mean, yeah, we want them to be in heaven. Yeah, we don't want them to be separated from God. Oh, that's true. All that's great. All that's absolutely right. But listen, we need, hear me here, we need to get busy and care deeply about people that need Jesus. Okay? That needs to be a priority in our lives. And here's what's great. God is going to, if you'll get there, God will give you ample opportunity to put your sickle into the ground or into the wheat. You get what I mean? We've got to understand that. So even with the fact that he just brought 72. He said, "That's I want more, I want more, I want more. And God wants to use you in that. The last one. Are you idle in regards to serving? Are you idle in regards to serving? 1 Peter 4.10. In 1 Peter 4.10, this is what it said. God has given each of you. We'll stop there for just a moment. Each of you. Each of you, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, okay? Now, that's a great promise. That's awesome. That's, man, God has given you and me a gift from a variety. What's a variety? That's easy. That means a whole bunch of different gifts. Everybody's got something different, maybe. That's awesome. But here's the thing. When we get those gifts, Monica, if you want to put that back up there, why does he give us those variety of gifts? He gives them to us so that we can use them well to serve one another. Why does God give us the gifts? We're told right here to help each other, to serve one another. Now listen, hear me here. We have things that you can do and help us here in this church. Okay? 
we need help with the kids. We need help with some of the ground stuff. We need help with some of the maintenance stuff around here. We could use more greeters. We could use more um, uh, ushers. We could use more people to help out in many, 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 many areas. And I'm not going to sit here and act like we don't need your help. We do. We do. But you know what? It's not just about serving. Now, hear me here. You may never hear a pastor say this, okay? It's not just about serving your local church. Is that important? Yes. Are you vital? Yes. Am I saying you shouldn't? No. Don't misunderstand me here. But there is another part of this that you need to understand and I need to understand as our cars get hit with hail. I'm assuming that's what that is. Big rain. Hallelujah. Big rain. Big rain. But here's the thing. There is a variety of spiritual gifts. And one of those gifts God has given you to use, not just here, but in your home, and in your work, and in your community, and in your neighborhood. I've told this story before. We have a neighbor that lives next door to us. It's his, his wife and him, and they're just sweet, sweet people. And I believe they're, they're, they're Buddhists, I believe. And I've actually knocked on their door and kind of caught them in prayer time, which is kind of interesting. And on, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bother you, you know, and we were talking. We kind of have this thing. We have an unwritten, like, competition. Nobody ever set it out. Nobody ever set it done. It just has become this competition, at least for me it is. Maybe not for him, but it's for me, and it's when it snows. Because we have a connecting sidewalk. Well, we have a competition. Who can get out there to shovel the other person's sidewalk first? And I've looked at Emily. I said, I'm not going to let that guy outserve me. And you go, Aaron, that's silly. I don't know if it is or not because I want, I want him to know Jesus. I didn't, God didn't paint me next to their house because God said, well, this is a nice house and put them there and that's a nice house. God wants me to be a light to them. And one way I can do that is by serving him. And it frustrates me. Really. I'm not a happy guy when I come home and he's already, he's already done my sidewalk. I was talking to Alan about some of the things that he's done, you know, with, with, with the snow removal. Listen, we can serve people that may never come to this church. And that's okay. Because we're not here to build Broomfield Assembly. We're here to build the kingdom of God. That's what we're here for. That's what our hands need to be busy with. Because here's the thing. It's not about just serving the church and not just about serving each other. It's about understanding that as we're busy and we're doing the things of God, that in that moment, we're not allowing our hands to be busy with the things of the enemy. You remember I said, listen, this part of this is about this understanding of serving and all those things, obviously, but this is also about God loving you enough to tap you on the shoulder and say, listen, if you allow this to happen, you're going to walk down a road that could possibly lead to destruction, and God loves you too much not to try to get your attention. What kind of a father would I be if I said, yes, yeah, son, go play on the highway. Go right ahead. Have fun. Watch out for cars. I'm not a good dad. God loves us enough to say, listen, we need to be busy. You say, Aaron, but Aaron, I'm not, I can't tell people about Jesus. I, I have a hard time with all those things. Look, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not telling you that it's easy. But I am telling you this. Some of you, listen, you can make a really good lunch. You know, that's part of serving. Inviting people to your home. And just being together? You know how that's awesome that is? We can all do something. But what we don't want to have happen is for our hands to get dull and idle because God desires to use you and through, in you and through you. The worship team wants to come on up. We're going to close. Boy, it's really coming down. Oh, okay. Thank you, Joe. Lovely. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hmm. Alicia, why don't you go and play a little? Thank you. Okay. Oh. Let, can, can you hear my heart on this? Okay, because I know, I know at times, you know, like I said, sometimes these aren't easy to hear. I, I don't, I, there is in no way, shape, or form I want you to walk out of here discouraged, okay? That's not what this is about. This is not about a crazy guy up here ranting and raving about how you're not doing enough, okay? That's not what this is about, okay? You need to hear my heart here. So when the enemy tries to lie to you and basically tell you that, you need to say, no, that's, that's not what this is about. What it is about is understanding that the God in heaven has given you amazing gifts and he wants to use them to not just change your family, your friends, your community, your church, but also change you. It's also about a loving father who says, listen, David and, and Samson and Noah and Jacob and Peter, man, they did awesome things for me. But they also allowed themselves, even for a brief moment, to become somewhat idle with what they were doing. And because of that, it led to some destructive, disruptive things in their life. And so God loves us so much. He's like, he's, he's wanting us to know that and wanting us to see that so that if we look in our lives and go, you know, I'm getting a little lazy when it comes to my relationship with God. You know, I'm not praying like I should. I'm not spending time in the word like I should. I'm not, I'm not giving like I should. That in that moment, we can, we can help, God can help us to, to, to course correct, okay? God can help us to, to, to kind of look at those things and move us more towards where we need to be. For some of us, if we're just honest, we kind of have this idea of the kingdom of God as kind of us for and no more, <laughs> which is just not biblical. And we have to come to that place where you know what? What's more important than my lounging is the soul of my son or the soul of my neighbor. So if that means that I have a competition to make sure that, that I shovel more of a driveway or more of a, street, or more of a sidewalk so that that man knows, because he, he knows what I, he knows what I, 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 what I believe. He knows what I do, what I, what I, he knows, his wife knows. Are we willing to, to really do that? And the final thing, are we willing just to serve wherever, whenever, however, whether that be in church, which is great, or whether it's just inviting over that coworker that nobody likes. You know what I mean? You know the person, he, they're annoying, you don't like, but, but you're the one that says, you know what, that doesn't matter. I'm gonna love him. I'm gonna invite him to my home. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break bread with them. I'm gonna share, I'm gonna love on them. Whatever it is. You see, God wants to start with us in our hearts to affect everything else. So Father, right now, as we pray, as you join with me in praying, God, I pray right now that our hands would get busy. Our hands would not be idle. We would not be lounging, but instead we would be about your business. We would be busy doing the things that you called us to do. And that through those things, that first and foremost, we would understand how much you love us and how much you want to protect us from things that will come when we're idle. And then we can move forward with that and also allow things to take place that you want to do through us into the, uh, into our world, whether it be at our home, our church, our work, our school, our target, wherever we walk, God, you want to use us. We want to be busy for you. We want to be active for you. Not a busybody, 
but someone busy working for the things of God, excited about the ways of God, and doing some incredible things for God. So help us, God. Help us. Help us. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand, and John's going to come with the worship team and lead us in a quick closing chorus. exactly what God wants to use you to do but I do know this I can promise you this God wants to use you to do mighty things for him you can do this I know you can I believe in you because I know that when you surrender your life surrender those things to God and you let God use you nothing is impossible for you nothing is impossible God can use you to do the impossible. So let's get busy again. Let's let our hands begin to get dirty again. And let God do amazing things, okay? All right? Father, we love you and we thank you. You're so good. We ask now that you would just help us. God, place in our hearts and in our minds areas, things now over the next couple days, areas where we can look at, where we can serve, where we can minister to people, where we can be about your business, where we, we make more time for you and all these things, God. We do them all because of all you've done for us. We love you and we thank you. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope you have a wonderful week. Love you all so very much. Hope to see you on Friday for our, our Friday night invite in the chosen. I love you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.